Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai.
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Bo Martonic of the East Meets West Podcast. Bo is a PA hunter that is as passionate as they come when it comes to hunting. And Bo had such a successful year last year hunting all over. He was able to tag out on a great PA buck on opening day. To help get a beat on this buck, Bo used the Spartan Forge app, so we really wanted him to break down how he used the app to his advantage. We dove into a ton of different topics in this week's episode, from hunting the big woods of PA, scouting, going full-time in the industry, and a whole lot more. Enjoy today's episode, and thanks again for tuning in. See you next week. Antler up. And before you dive into this week's episode with Bo, I wanted to let you know we do have a few hats left. We have all black. We also have our red, white, and blue hats still left in stock. A couple left of each. So check out antlerupoutdoors.com to grab yours today. Thanks again, everybody, for all the support. Enjoy the episode. Okay, we're live. June 28th. We, uh... We're going to be joined here very shortly by Bo Martonic from the East Meets West podcast. Did you get out this weekend? Uh, no. So, but did bring home my dad's buck from the taxidermist. Yeah. That was pretty cool. On uh, Sunday, we took the whole family down, took my kids, um, and Maxim love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the, he has three dogs, so the kids were more interested in playing with the dogs. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun and. Um, you know, seeing my dad's buck that kind of was the ending of the story. It's kind of um, sad. Yeah. I mean, we just have a lot of history with that deer and, um, just seeing the character on him. Like I said, I've talked about it before the, the chest, it was basically, he was almost like bald from the whole chest. The taxidermist said that was most likely from him, how many does he mounted. And, you know, he had a scar on his one eye and taxidermist thought he was probably blind in that eye and. Um, just an old mountain warrior. Yeah. Such a cool, I can't wait to see him. I got to come up. Got Jim's on there feeding them. <laughs> Josh is on here. Evening guys. What's going on? So we'll be, like I said, we'll be joined here shortly, but uh, I, I made it back home this past Sunday. Uh, so today's Tuesday. Uh, so on the 26th, I met up with my dad and we were able to readjust some cameras and check on change batteries, all that type of stuff and reopened up some scrapes, did a better job of making some mock scrapes, just especially after having Troy on who will have that episode air tomorrow. So those of you that are, are listening here, our episode tomorrow is with uh, Troy Kilborn, uh, Kilborn. <laughs> he, 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 uh, he said he answers to either one uh, from buck fever synthetic. So awesome guy. We learned a lot and I kind of really, went like I felt like in years past when I would never have good luck with mock scrapes I just kind of kicked it up with my foot and just threw whatever in the dirt and didn't make it very big because I was like well you never see one that's just like enormous so but after watching and listening to a couple people like I said Troy uh, Kelborn and Troy Pottinger and uh I I, can't, I keep butchering the guy's name. I think it's Shane that went out with Aaron Belisey, uh, like for postseason scout and watched the video on how he does it. So kind of really mimic that a little bit and really open up in the last two days. I've been getting some deer hitting those and uh, hitting the branches a little bit, but more so really checking out the gr the ground. And I didn't, 
did not put any scent in the ground. It just was straight up. It was just straight up the forehead gland stuff. So, yeah, I did make one. I guess I didn't get out real quickly on Sunday. I did put one, um, just, to, to see how it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a kind of high deer traffic area. Um, found a perfect branch to, I just didn't use a rope. The other two yeah. I made, I, I used a rope this time. I just kind of broke off a tree similar to what you would see in the woods and, uh, sprayed the buck fever on the limbs and Let see eat. what happens. Sweet. Loud Can and you clear. Hear me? Yep. Loud and clear. All right, dude. Awesome. I just wanted to make sure, man, this is, uh, I feel like we're, we're like three months in using bullhorn or even longer than that. When sometimes it's just like, ah, eh, shit gets wary. You know what I mean? I don't know much about it. I've heard of people using it, but I don't know much. That's or is this live then? Yeah, we're technically live. We got as of right now, we have uh, five listeners. We got some people in the chat. We had got people could call in, so don't piss them off, Bo. They're you know what I mean. They're, they're <laughs> they'll, they'll get on here, man. Yeah, I'll try not to. Hey, <laughs> normally I can record it ahead of time, and then I don't have to worry about people yelling at me because they had they don't have a way to you know. Absolutely. But, yeah, this is. <laughs> hey man here, here you That's go cool. big truck farms if i could get it in camera cheers dude there it is yep yep dude i told you i, I my family yeah. and i we went down to ocean city maryland and we were at, we went to one of the restaurants and i was i, I was getting a burger and something and i was like taking Nora. it was called alley oops and they had like an arcade it's like basically like dave and busters and chuck e cheese like had a kid you know what I mean? And that's like the type of restaurant it was so i was like sweet like let's go there and they had it on tap and i tried it and i was like I got to find a, a, a store nearby. So my sister and I went into uh, the one liquor store right by our, our, our hotel and went in and boom, there was like a couple. So I got Dimitri and I two six packs to drink for while we're uh, podcasting. That's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Yeah. That, that stuff. It's, it's good stuff. And yeah, it's more, it's more uh, readily available over yeah. there on the, the east coast and southern pa and maryland and stuff so yeah man well dude i appreciate you coming on and we're we finally able we're able to make it happen this is crazy yeah this is I it i know i'm excited i'm excited <laughs> this is this is cool and it's cool to be doing the, the video chat like this and mm-hmm. uh, the different uh types of technology i guess we have for podcasts allow people to be able to come in and 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 talk on it that's cool yeah hell yeah man well dude i want to uh, you know, obviously a lot of our uh, listeners obviously know who you are, so we don't really need a, I don't think a huge introduction, but you know, Bo Martonic from the East meets West podcast, just at, you know, from here from Pennsylvania, but you know, just quickly, uh, if you want, just touch upon like what's new. I mean, you got the big full-time gig now you're, you're into it. You know, you want to, I know you had your own podcast and about that, but how, how are things going, man, with that? Things are going well. It's a, uh, it's a transition, man. It's, it's different. Um, so I was so used to going to work, you know, Monday through Friday from this time to this time and then doing everything else kind of on the side to, or now it's just, it's weird. Like, you know, where it, I, I still need like some sort of a schedule because that's just how my brain operates. But I have this, this, um, I don't even know how to put it like almost like this guilt sometimes that I'm supposed to be somewhere else or doing something else when that's not the case, but uh, (laughs) it feels that way. So it's, it's been an adjustment, but it's going great then and doing a lot more stuff. And, and it's funny. I feel like I'm just as, just as busy as ever, but it's a good thing. So I can't complain. Here's a question. Do you feel like you 
maybe had all these different ideas that now you finally feel like you can maybe one implement, but two, you feel like you're scratching the surface a little bit. Like, you know, just because you had, you were putting time into work and, you know, you're doing a lot with your podcast and everything else and your writing, but now it's full fledged. Do you feel like there's still so much more that you want to do? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's it's, yeah, just scratching the surface on it. And it's, it's when I was doing both of those things, it was really difficult to be extremely creative because I was always just like jam packing everything into whatever little space of time that I had where like now I feel like I have the ability to, to kind of get those creative juices flowing and really think through things and research things that I want to do and, you know, see how that's going to end up flowing together. So that's, that's cool. I mean, I've finally started doing the the video podcast now, um, which is something I've always wanted to do. Just, it is very time consuming. Uh, as, as you know, it's like, it's a, it's a very time consuming thing, editing that versus the audio version. So that changes things up a little bit, but it, um, so I've been doing those and, and moving forward with it and, and doing a lot more video stuff and, and, and just have just a lot of other ideas that I want to do. It's funny. I got asked here recently by my cousin, we were just having some drinks and hanging out. And he's like, you think you'll ever run out of things like to talk about like in podcast and everything. And I was like, not that I can see. I just have so many people I want to talk to and so many different topics to cover. I, I just keep like a giant, Google Docs of anything that comes in my head, I just write it down. I don't know where it's ever going to fit, what it's going to do, if I'll ever do anything with it, but I just have, I think it's up to like 30 some pages of just like bullet points of things that, that interest me or things I want to talk about or talk to people about. So that's, it's, it's been pretty cool. Awesome, man. Now, was there ever a a moment that you kind of, you know, finally took that plunge and, you know, decided, Hey, I'm going to go for this. You know, because I think a lot of people, I mean, they you probably obviously always had the, the dream of making the hunting industry your full-time job. A lot of people do growing up, and I know I did at one time. Um, I don't think I'll ever get to that point, but... You know, but even if if suggestions or, you know, uh, advice you can give people, even if it's just something like what we do, right, something they do on the side or, you know, maybe they're kind of like, ah, you know, I don't have any ideas that people would want to follow, but, you know, they're thinking about doing any advice you can give to someone like that to kind of finally take that plunge and just go for it. Yeah, so I'll I'll start with the kind of the, the how and the why behind it. Like as far as if I were to give any advice to people, it's, I mean, if you want to have that goal of like, okay, this is what I want to do full time. Like that's, that's an awesome goal to do. And it's very achievable, obviously. But what I would say is make sure that you really love doing it and you're not just trying to find a way in because there'll be many years of work towards that where you're not getting paid. You're not, you're spending a lot of time away from doing other things and even time away from scouting and some of the stuff that you love doing to, to do this. So it it really, for me, it was like, I, I knew that I wanted to stay within the niche that I had and with big woods, whitetails and Western hunting and, and venture hunting. Like that was what just like, I wanted to just learn more about. So like, it was easy for me to, to when I was, you know, just swamped on time or anything like that. Cause everybody's got this, you know, this drive when something exciting happens, you know, everybody's pumped up and you go full force into it. And then once that, you know, that honeymoon stage, I guess we'll call it kind of <laughs> wears off. It's difficult to keep your, 
keep your, um, your, your steadiness and, and flowing through it without having that real purpose and that why and why you want to do it. And, and I think that's, I think that's something that is important to know it. And, and cause I will get messages from people sometimes that are like, I, I can almost tell right off the bat that their, their intentions aren't as good as, I, I shouldn't say as good. They're just like, they, they just like, Oh, I just want to hunt all the time, you know? And, and, and I get that, but that's, that's not really the reality. Like when I, when I did my podcast talking about going full time with this, it wasn't, I titled it kind of jokingly. I quit my job to hunt for a living because you don't, you're not really hunting for a living. You have more flexibility to be able to hunt, but you don't make money. Nobody makes money from hunting. So <laughs> that's, that's, uh, you know, the, the, the case there, but you got to love learning, love the process. Like, you know, you have that end goal out there, but you got to love every little step of learning how to edit and doing all these things as you move your way through it. And I, I think that that's something that, that, uh, someone told me early on and I felt like it was very helpful for me as I started moving, you know, and started going towards with it. So that was, that was the biggest, that, that, that would say some of the biggest things for that. And it's just like, just keep doing it and don't go full on. Like you might have a thousand ideas in your head, but focus on a couple and do them really well and make sure it's obtainable that you can keep up with it. Cause I've got myself in the traps where I had all these ideas kind of like what you talked about early. Jeremy was like, Oh, you know, do you, you know, think you want to do all these things? And it's like, yeah. And I had those ideas before and I tried, like, I just basically, you know, half-assed a lot of little things and didn't do anything well. So I was like, all right, focus on the podcast. That's what you want to do. Focus on that and, and go from there with it. And, and because you, you will burn out if you're working another job and trying to do this on the side, it's just like, just focus on those things. And it really, I've always had it and to go to the second part of the question was like, I've always had it in my head. Like this is what I was going to do. And I just, it really looking back, it wasn't super realistic. Like at the point that I was confident in it, but like, I just was like, I wasn't going to quit until I got to that point. But once it was like September of last year, I was like really struggling with like trying to balance all this stuff. And I was just Mm -hmm. failing in every other aspect of my life. And I just felt like I was just, just so just working all the time. And I was like, all right, something needs a break. And I I told myself from day one, this is literally what I I remember telling Heather Kelly from Heather's choice. He's been like a business mentor and a friend of mine. When she told me from day one to go full time and I was like, I have no idea how to, (laughs) how that could work, you know? And I was like, I told her, I was like, well, I'm just going to work really hard until I can't do both because I've got to a point where I'm so busy at both. Well, that's not a great plan, but that's what I, where I came to. And I kind of came to a breaking point. It was like, all right, I'm either going to just stop doing this or I'm going to go all in on it. And I needed to make that decision. So I was talking to Mark Kenyon. I had him on my podcast and after we got done, he was just like, Hey man, like, what's your deal? Like, what are you going to do? Are you thinking about, you know, you seem like you're getting some traction. You think you're going to do this full time. And I was like, yeah, but like, how, how do you know when to jump when you have this comfortable job and it pays well and you got decent vacation and it's that stability. And he's like, man, if this is what you want to do, you just got to put down a date and stick to it. And then, and don't look back just like, all right, this is my date and I'm going to figure out all the things to get there afterwards but you set that date first and then kind of you know work backwards I guess and that's what I did and I I set it for April 2022 so it was almost you know eight or nine months ahead of time and I just 
kind of work towards it. I, I told my workplace well ahead of time, two or three months ahead of time that I was going to be transitioning and doing that. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a scary conversation <laughs> to have. Um, cause I was like, man, I say this, there's not, not really a going back from it. So, <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> uh, but no, that that's, that's kind of just, that's kind of how I looked at it and how I did it. Yeah. And, and um, it was a weird waking up that first Monday morning without uh, going into the office. So that's awesome, man. Well, congratulations to you on that. It's what, you know, like you said, you, the one thing is you have to be able to manage a hundred different, different irons in the fire. Like you said, I mean, even, you know, like we obviously like for us, it's a little bit like the one side of things, like we're married and we have kids, but on the same side of things, like you have your endeavor with, with your work, my work, I coach and, you know what I mean? And then there's, we got to record a podcast. There was, we had uh, one week so far this past spring, just because my coaching schedule, we had like five games in a week and I just could not get a podcast edited or like recorded. And within, so like this will be one twenty nine, I think. And we had, that was the first week we had to take a week off. And like, it was kind of funny because there was a couple people that messaged me like, where's the podcast this week? But like, you know what I mean? I was like, all right, well, at least, you know, no one's getting butthurt about not having a podcast. I'm like, we'll, we'll catch up next week <laughs> type of. Yeah, idea. no, no, that's it's yeah. And everyone's in a different situation. Like you said, different point in life, different things that, that come up and, and, and also with, you know, your guys' side of it with, you know, trying to get both your schedules aligned. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother, you know, plus the guest. So it's, yep. it's, that's not easy. I, I, uh, I applaud you for that. Yeah. Well, it's always, I'm, well, I'm sending you what text messages. How's this date? You're like, good or no. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just constantly, we're like, all right, let's figure it out. But awesome, man. Well, that's a good start, Bo. I appreciate that. You know, you sharing that. What's, uh, let's jump into a little bit about Spartan Forge. Like this is the time of year right now, the end of June, July, you know, a lot of people are going to be looking at e-scouting a lot and, you know, we constantly do that. And I liked what, uh, Dan Staten from Elk Shape, I just read one of his latest, like, uh, blog, not blog posts, but his email that he sends out all the time. Uh, I'm on his, on his thing. And it was just like, set a goal for like every day, spend 10, 15 minutes, like looking at your e-scout, e-scouting map, whatever service you use. And obviously we're using Spartan Forge. Uh, I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, so there was a couple questions that people asked actually about that, but the ones that I do want to talk to you about though, is like, I want you to outline your three features that you really like to use on the app. And like, like what are those features that you use and how do you go about using them? Yeah. So I'd say the, the, the big three that, that I love the most on the app is one is the, the new Lambda layer that's on there where you can customize the map and be able to, you know, pick which aerial imagery you want. I always like to use aerial with a topo overlay. So kind of like a hybrid approach to it. So I'll throw that on there, mark certain roads and trails, but like where in most of the places that I'm at that are, you know, big chunks of or uh, public land, excuse me. Like I don't need to have all the property boundaries. I don't need the crop layers turned on those things. So I can turn those off and have the trails and things that I want on and just be able to see those things and have that saved all the time. And then if I want something simple and I just want to swipe over to topo, I can do that. And I can do that very, you know, quickly. Uh, one of the other things that I really like is, uh, the journaling feature that that was, a thing that I was just like so pumped about because 
I always take detailed notes and I'd always used to just like write in with the waypoint. Uh, and then I hadn't scattered in a bunch of different places, but now that's built right into the app. So for anyone that's listening, what I mean is like when I'm in the field and I find something or I find a good spot, you know, say I'll get my milkweed out and I'll check the wind and see how the wind and thermals interact in that area. I'd put all those notes in, or if I'm in the tree and I'm hunting and I, I see a deer, a specific deer, whatever it might be, you know, I just write the notes in there and save it. And it logs the weather data with that, which is one of the most important things, in my opinion, if you saw a certain deer, you can log the deer's information in there, but mostly I use it for the weather and then the details and the notes that I can go back to. And, you know, as, as you build this uh, catalog of stuff like every year you can go back and look like okay or like even this year i'll go back and look at my notes from last year and be like all right around these dates this spot was hot or this spot wasn't you know maybe there were those weren't coming in the heat in that area specifically around the rut um and and kind of looking at it that way so i think that feature has been a a, a really a, a really important one for me and then um the another one and th- these are more ones that are like I guess separate from some other apps is that I'll, that I'll put because I mean like offline features huge, but a lot of you know other yeah. apps have that. So that's something that I use a lot where I download the map areas ahead of time so I can go into the field without cell signal, and be able to use it. But one that's another different is just that the whole weather uh, layer, and I mostly use at this time of year. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say just mostly this time of year, but there's a specific feature in there I use this time of year is, is the historical wind layer. So you, where you can go back and look at certain months of the year and be able to see, okay, November uh, in November, there's a historical, a lot more Southwest, South and, you know, Westerly winds. It's coming from that flow. So as I'm doing my scouting, you know, I'm focusing on North, Northeast and the Eastern type ridges because it's more of the leeward side and being able to understand how that works. And, and, and even, so that's just like the starting point. And then once I'm in those areas, even if it doesn't match up with the whole leeward side of it, it doesn't matter if I find a good spot that's like, okay, I believe that the wind and the thermals interacting together are going to work well for this spot. And this is how, this is where I'm going to pick my primary tree and then I'll pick secondary ones based off of different conditions but this is how i'm going to pick these trees off of that historical wind data so that's those are like i'd say the top three that that i use a lot and why i use them right so like looking at for us right now if we go back to november dimitri we're looking at mainly a lot of west and west northwest winds like that's the our november map because even on that bow like that even talks about the home like obviously like the ranges of you know full range and core area and all that type of stuff. So it's, it's really a fascinating, you know, aspect. And like you said, there's no other app that obviously provides that. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole nother feature yeah. there that that's <laughs> added to it. But, um, cause like yeah, Taylor, and- Taylor uses that a lot. Like I know he, just because of in his situation where he's a lot, you know, urban hunting and doing all that type of stuff, he's, he really relies on, on that big time. Yep. No, definitely. And, and if, if you want me to dive a little bit into that yeah, feature and how I, how I use it. So like when you got the, the core range and the transitional and the full range, uh, different, I guess, categories. So basically when something says the core area, the core range, 
you're more likely to see daylight movement in and around bedding, thick cover, those types of things. Transitional, maybe you might be able to catch them a little bit earlier coming towards that, that food source if there is like a, a primary food source that they're looking at, more of that travel type area. And then full range, it can be anywhere within that and including the the food areas. Those are like the, you know, the top days everyone looks at. But I, I use those as more of like, okay, uh, you know, with the core type stuff, I'm going to stay tight to bedding and stay tight to those types of those locations. And that's how I'm using those, those particular features. Awesome. Well, what about, uh, you know, what, since you started using this app, uh, what have, what are there some things that you've kind of like maybe had an aha moment or that you're like, wow, this really like, since I'm because of this app, I've really kind of either stepped up your game in a certain area or of your, your hunting skill set. Well, I, I'd say honestly, the, the whole understanding, uh, that well, when they have like the core area and they have that, we just talked about there being able to relate that back to both my trail camera data and also my, um, my in-person encounters and kind of being like, wow, like this is really sweet how this is. And it, it gives you more trust because, you know, there's, there's plenty of, uh, apps out there that give you different predictions and all those different things. And, and it, it's based a lot off of, you know, someone's theory on something where this is based off of science and, and GPS caller data and years of weather data and all these things and artificial intelligence puts this stuff together to, you know, spit out the prediction for it. And it's not, it's not always right. Nothing's always right. Uh, but right. it, uh, <clears throat> it is, it has helped me a lot with helping. Cause w- one thing that I I'm, uh, that I'm terrible at, I guess is like, the not being able to choose what's like tree or stand I want to go to basically (laughs) that day. Like I'll be driving there and like, I I could either go down this road or I could go down this road. And I'm like, I I don't know what to do. And I kind of like stop in the intersection and I'm like, not sure what to do. And this just like helped give me a little bit more confidence. Like, okay, well this one, you know, is, is more of a transitional spot, but it's shown core area this day. It just gives you that little mind uh, advantage there and gives you that confidence to, to go in. So that's, that's something that, that, that I've really liked being able to use. I think has helped me out just in my, my, my inability to be able to, you know, really choose a spot. Well, that's like, even for me, like I get, I get the whole idea behind that, but even having like you explain that and having like Taylor and Bill kind of explain that kind of process to me has helped me out too. even just like picking out certain areas. Like when I'll go home up Northeastern Pennsylvania and hunt on private, it's big woods, it's mountain. There's no ag fields, no, none of that. So it's still like the same terrain features that Dimitri and I hunt here on public land. It's just, you know, it has its own obstacles, but like, that's where, I'll kind of like, okay, I know where those thick pockets are. And if it's a core area, I'll kind of go more so towards that. And if it's transitional, I know, uh, towards the bottom, especially in the mornings, I know where it's kind of, they like to walk parallel up the road, uh, like little side road. It's basically, and you know, that's kind of helped me predict of where I should go or where I kind of help my dad go basically. Yeah, no, sure. definitely. And, and it's, I mean, I, I think deer hunting has so much to do with confidence and having that confidence in what you're doing and whether something is, you know, hundred percent fact, or it's just a prediction, 
And if you have that in your head that that's going to be correct and you're moving towards that, I think it gives you that, that edge that, that you need. And, and, and that's something I've learned from both spending a lot of time around my dad and, and Johnny Stewart and like confidence is everything. You have to have confidence when you're going into your spots and, and, and see it happen. And, uh, sounds woo woo type stuff, but it's, uh, I, I think it works. Heck yeah. Now, is there anything that you're looking for, especially we're talking about like maybe a new piece that you've never been into just because you're kind of similar to us, you know, when you were kind of diving into e-scouting and, you know, I love looking uh, on my Onyx maps and, and, you know, I geek out a little bit on trying to find different terrain features that, you know, I've found historically that, that have shown, uh, you know, good buck sign and, and seen a lot of had success in these areas. What are, what are things that you're keying on when you're kind of diving into that map online for the first time and, and things that you've seen on the map and then went in there and scouted and, and kind of, you know, um, matched up with what you were seeing. And then, you know, maybe with some Intel with cameras and stuff, um, is there anything that you're looking for specifically looking at those maps? Yeah. The first time I'm going into a spot, I really like to find areas with vegetation diversity. So a lot of different edges. If I start seeing a bunch of different colors, if it's more like summer imagery, that's something that's, that's interesting to me. Maybe it's even like you look at the creek bottom and there's some openings and maybe some like swampy areas or beaver ponds. And then you get up into the, the ridges and you have some evergreens, you have some hemlocks that you can see in there mixed in with some, some different other greenery and then some clear cuts and you can tell different ages of the clear cuts on there. Like I'm looking for areas that have as much vegetation diversity as that's like my first thing. And the second thing I look for is terrain diversity and having different terrain involved because, and then once you start overlaying them on top of each other and you start seeing where there's some like edges that match up with good terrain features. Those are areas that I'm like, okay, like this is a good starting point. That might not be where I end up exactly, but that gets me in there that into that area and let me move around. I mean, I, I felt like in the past I've, I've done a lot of one or the other and had mixed results with it. Like I, I, I remember a place that I hunted for a couple of years that didn't have much vegetation diversity, but it had a ridiculous amount of terrain. And yeah, you could predict some of that deer movement, but it didn't have a lot of browse. And if the mass crop wasn't there, then the deer weren't there. And it was, it was a lot more difficult where when you have that vegetation diversity, you, you know, you have browse basically year round and it's going to, it's going to hold deer. So that's, that's where I think both of those together uh, really help out. And then also how it kind of lays out with the road systems. Um, I'm not opposed. I've found a lot of good spots that can be close to roads, but I don't normally start with that. I, I usually start with trying to find areas that are a little bit more difficult to, to get into that might have a little bit of an extra barrier to entry and go from there. Awesome. What about like uh, benches or, you know, topo lines, points of ridges, anything in that aspect as far as that terrain features of, of what you're looking for on those maps? Yeah, I mean, I start out with like the big ones, you know, I'm looking for, you know, points and saddles and benches. And that's like, I kind of like mark those as like a starting point. And then I try to find the micro ones in between those. And then also where they butt up against that vegetation. But like for me, and saddles, for example, like that's, you know, 
everyone's heard about saddles. Everyone says hunt the saddles during the rut. It's the travel area and it is, but the problem is a lot of times is it's everybody knows that and you'll find a deer stand on just about every saddle that you come across on, on public ground. So what I'll typically do is still scout those areas. I might even throw a camera there because you're going to get some good nighttime activity, but then work backwards and then try to find maybe just a little difference and not even like a major bench, but just a slight one that might come out on the side of the ridge, maybe three, 400 yards away from that saddle. Uh, and, and then focus on those type of spot. It might not even have the biggest sign, but that might be an area that they'll transition through during daylight with some thick cover around versus going across that, that big open saddle that uh, they know that Jeremy's going to be up there hunting every day. He's going to come in. He's, you know, he's going to come in right around daylight. He's going to be eating his candy wrapper and drinking his coffee that they have him <laughs> patterned. So I want to, I want to differentiate from that a little bit, but those little micro features are just like big. And I've just, I've become so uh, in love with side Hills and finding those little micro benches that are on those side Hills uh, more so than, than ever in the last five years, I would say that I, I, I spent a lot of time hunting those types of areas. I, I think people don't love to, to hunt them. And like, I, I hunt a lot of side Hills that are covered in hemlocks and, and I, I know I've talked to hunters that hunt the same area. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, they were spot on with no uncertain bucks were using that spot, but they're like, yeah, well it gets dark like 15 minutes earlier in there and you can't see very far. And that doesn't bother me because I, I know that, yeah, you might not see very many deer cause you can't see far. Uh, and it does get dark a little bit earlier in there, but when you do see one, you're going to be in shooting range and it's going to be what, what you're looking for. Yeah. Well, you brought up a bunch of good points and, and like from Dimitri's question, you know, like, cause one of the questions I was going to ask you, do you have, like, do you go with a, uh, a one year, two year, three year plan, like for an area that you really scout out. Like, cause I know, like, I love when Dimitri talks about like really getting a chance to know your area, like whether it's, you know, going in scouting a year, maybe hunting it once or twice and then getting back in there and just really starting to know that area. Like what are the boxes that need checked for you? Like if you go out scouting, you, you find your, 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 your right now, or maybe a couple months ago, right. Your, your postseason scouting right now, you're getting, cameras maybe in there and you get more boots on the ground what boxes need to get checked and are you going in there that year if all of them get checked or are you kind of waiting to put in a camera let it soak a year that might be a spot where if shit gets wary in a different area or more hunters i might pop in there to see what's going on how do you attack that situation so like what boxes need checked and and your game plan for your time frame of hunting that area then yeah so i'll start with like I look at every area I go into a new area is a three year approach. Like I, I understand that I go in year one. Yeah. There's a chance that I hunt it. If all those boxes are checked and there's a chance that I can, that I can kill a deer in there, but to be consistent and really understand the area, it's going to take me two, usually three years to, to have a good beat on it. So like I'll go in year one and, hit like those highlighted points that I marked on the map, you know, the train features, specific vegetation features might walk the edges of the clear cuts and find some big primary scrapes and start throwing cameras on those. And just like, for the most part, I throw cameras on and I'm out and I don't come back that year. I'll pick them up the next spring really mm -hmm. is what I do a lot of times. And 
so I'm, I'm trying not to, to veer too much off yeah. of this, but there's, this is, uh, but th- this is important. So like I have typically two areas that I always have that I know really well that I usually even have more than three years in there, that those are like my primary spots. And then I'll have another three to five that are on the outside that I might be, they might be in a couple might be in year two of scouting and going in there. And I might have some cameras in there and be able to hunt it. If the couple of my main spots aren't, aren't producing like I want. And then I have my test areas that are just kind of, that I have out there that I'll have maybe a couple cameras on, you know, something just to see if there's one, something worth that I want to go hunt. And, and then two, just trying to get Intel to be able to put more puzzle pieces together. And so like when I go in the boxes, I'm looking to check cause like not, not all areas that I find that whole big deer have a lot of big sign. They typically have big scrapes, but big rubs are not a prerequisite for me to say that there's a big deer in there. I, I mean, this one area that I've hunted some of the biggest deer that I've ever hunted, they, they don't rub very big trees. It's just, there's not a big sign in there, but there is, you still find those big community scrapes with multiple licking branches broke off and, and those types of things. So that I'll usually, you know, throw some cameras on that and be able to look at it. But, and I usually don't have a problem finding cover. I mean, covers pretty, uh, in the big woods is pretty much everywhere. So you can find, find that, uh, uh, pretty simply, but you know, so I'm trying to, but I'm walking those edges of like, say the clear cuts and walking around some of those points. And I'm trying to find this sign, you know, if there is big rubs and there's big scrapes, that's like, okay, well, that's probably a pretty good idea that there's a mature deer living in here. And so those are some things, if I can somehow pin down like an area where I think a deer is bedding, uh, on the first year that's super difficult and usually that's not hunting a specific deer that's just like i know a good deer is using uh this area and that's something that i take note of but for me to go in and hunt it uh you know put full effort into it on the first year i did that in 2020 and and i ended up getting an opportunity at the the deer that i was hunting in there but it didn't it didn't work out and everyone got an arrow off but it, that was a rare situation where the caliber of deer that my cameras picked up was like, I just need to figure this out. Like I just kind of went all in and I did not have the confidence that I needed, but, uh, and I bounced around a lot and I typically bounce around quite a bit if I'm hunting an area for the first year, just to kind of get an idea of how it, it flows. Cause I don't have that confidence yet to sit in the spot for, you know, three, four days in a row. But as I start building, uh, you know, information on those things through trail cameras and experience, now I'm going to, I'm going to sit in there, you know, I might sit in the same tree for three, four, five days in a row during the rut and just know that eventually a deer is going to come through there because it, that's just the way it is. But low deer densities, just because you don't see anything doesn't mean that, that there's nothing there. Right. So that's, that's kind of how I layer it. And then to go, a step further, I use the same type of approach with trail cameras. So like the first year I go into a spot, I have these cameras kind of spread out and usually I'll anywhere from three to five cameras in in an area. I'm spread out quite a bit and, and just on big sign. Usually I try to cover if there's a decent amount of elevation, I'll try to have them on different elevation levels, you know, maybe one's 
up towards the top in in a saddle or whatever, and then maybe one on a side hill bench, and then one in a in a crick bottom that I can find a, a good scrape or or some sort of a travel funnel on, and then as I go into year two, I review that that camera. I'm like, okay, you know, these two up higher had more, you know photos on it and also from another year postseason scouting i found more sign around this cut maybe i need to start clustering a little more cameras around that and i'll start adding more and maybe i'll have you know i might even have five to seven cameras in there at that point and i start surrounding specific spots but also always having one or two floater cameras on the outside just if a deer disappears something else to be able to kind of figure out where they're transitioning to and then year three i'm dumping as many cameras as i could throw at it and and basically just trying to cover my basis and and fine-tuning you know specific trails that these deer like to use and specific you know bedding areas that they like and I, i'm trying to focus on that more as i start building that along but it's definitely not uh, you know, I can go look at a map and go in to a new area every single year and come out with the best buck that's in there. That's just not, <laughs> yeah. that's not reality uh, for me at, at this point. So that's, I, I like to layer it in kind of a delayed gratification approach. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, like you have this big, you know, like a big zone, you know what I mean? Like that first year you have all these cameras, you might be, you know, then at year two, it kind of dwindles down and it kind of gets to that core area where you're going to really focus in on because of what the Intel has told you. And I, I think, you know, you, that's what you have done an amazing job and you've hunted that spot for many years, but like getting the, you know, figuring things out more so and understanding the why you crushed that, especially the last two, two years in, in where you've been successful. Yeah. Cause a lot of times yeah, you, you have that buck disappear and, and you know, a lot of be like, where did he go? Right. Yeah. You know, especially the buck that my dad killed, um, you know, every, uh, fall, once he went hard horned, we thought he disappeared. Yeah. Right. And he, <laughs> he did. <laughs> he was living yeah. on, you know, the same point, the same Ridge, uh, those whole three years and he was just taking a different travel route, you know, to his food source. And, you know, and it was like, just like you said, every year I learned something different, um, you know, cause I would go to a spot and think I kind of figured him out and I would maybe have an encounter or two. And then, you know, maybe I'd be, you know, doing a little scout, scout my way out or do something different. Cause you know, I wasn't seeing right. him and then I would kind of find a rub line of his or, you know, and then, and then I'm like, Oh wait, this makes sense. He's going from a to B this way. Not, not what we thought, you know, and we kind of slowly put that together, had a couple opportunities. And then my dad finally, uh, killed him this year, but <laughs> you know, and it, it was just that evolving, you know, yeah. um, Intel and, and learning and, and, you know, developing, you know, your strategy yeah you basically especially you like that like what i was just saying like you zoned in and like you had it we just your dad got him yeah <laughs> you know what i mean so that's that's exactly what that is that's awesome well no that's that because that was like i said that was one of the questions and what you asked prior to that it was like perfect lead into like what are those check boxes um do you have yeah. anything before i get into any the, uh, the only question is, you know, you talked about clustering those cameras yeah. when you're trying to narrow in. Maybe you you kind of have an idea where he's betting. You know, even though you're clustering in a smaller area, like what what would you say if you're using four to seven cameras to cluster and figure out travel routes? How big of an area or, you know, roughly do you mean clustering your cameras? Because, you know, that could be real narrowing around a small bedding or, you know, almost a whole uh, ridge. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good question. So, and, 
as the answer with anything is that depends. But like, uh, like, so like, for example, if you have a, a clear cut, that's like, let's just say 40 acres, um, you know, 40 acre cut and it's, you know, it's grown up enough that I think there's a buck, you know, bedding in there based off of, I had a camera on one edge of it before I might put some other surrounding it and maybe have one even on the interior of that, of that cut. So they're still spread out, but it's focused around that centralized location that I think you might be betting. And then there's another example of like this, this area that, that I'm one of the areas I'm hunting currently, I have three cameras within 90 yards of each other because like, I feel like this deer is using these trails, but he's using different trails and I can't, I can't exactly get them pinpointed. And, and that's actually where I killed my buck last year. And I had, so actually I had 13 cameras in there and it wasn't very spread out. Like, I mean, I had these cameras just like dialed and that buck used two of those trails like <laughs> out of all of those. So like, if I were to have, you know, a couple cameras in there, you, you'd think like, Oh, that buck disappeared. He lost his velvet. He's gone. You know, he, he left kind of the situation like you explained there with your dad and, and, it, it took, it took, that was something that I've really learned recently of putting cameras that close together that I've learned so much. And, but that takes a particular area. Like that was, uh, where it was a very defined kind of corridor where you had, um, a logging cut on the top and you didn't have like a, a, a ton of terrain to get down. I mean, it was a steep hill and stuff, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't eight, 900 feet elevation gain. It was, it's probably like three or 400 feet. Uh, maybe a little bit more from top to bottom and that cut up on the top, it left all the tops down, everything. It wasn't easy for the deer to travel through those hemlocks on the side hill created good cover and it was a good travel route out and then back up into that cut for where I believe they were feeding at night. So I was like, okay, I, I just need to put a bunch of cameras in here and be able to figure out. So that's, a, that's a, di that's a different example of clustering. Most of the time it has to do with like a cut or like a point of a ridge that I believe a buck's betting on that I'll have them on, you know, multiple sides, maybe some down lower in elevation, maybe some off the point of it, some on the top and like kind of, so it's like just kind of shifting depending on what my focal point is. Nice. Yeah. Steve Shirk obviously talks a lot about that and that's yep. kind of this past Sunday when I went back home and was do, making some mock scrapes and reopening some up to make it a little bit more realistic after kind of listening more so of what Troy Pottinger and we, we actually tomorrow we're going to air our episode that we have with Troy Kaleburn born from buck fever on. And, um, you know, so I kind of, I wanted to get home and get, get kind of reopening up and check cameras and make sure my batteries were all good, which I needed to put up, uh, Exodus render. And, uh, it's like, I have one spot actually today. was actually a pretty good example. The one where I have been getting pictures on that tactic cam, I had two bucks come on that straight towards the camera. And it was on this trail. I put the Exodus and it was just fascinating to see. I put it maybe about 65 yards going down down the next ridge basically and i just wanted to see and only one of those bucks came through and i have it on like pretty quick like two second uh like three burst picture or whatever uh just because i know it's not gonna kill my battery because it's not a lot of deer it's not a huge deer density area and only the like actually was the bigger buck too out of the two that like 
walked on it. So it's just fascinating to see what deer are going to be using it. And, you know, maybe he peeled the other one peeled off and went on the other trail at a kind of crossroads. So I'm going to keep my eye on that and just see how that goes and just get more cameras in that area as the season gets close for me. Yeah. If you want to get excited about the season, follow Steve Shirk and yeah. house <laughs> velvet yeah. pictures of bucks. will get you fired up oh, already. My. Yeah. He's a, he's a, a lot more ballsy than I am with sharing photos like that. I just, <laughs> I can't do that. No, I've learned a lot from Steve with his trail cameras. I spent a lot of time hanging out with him and he's helped refine my clustering strategy mm-hmm. and some different things in, in that front. And, and Steve's Jeff, yeah, incredible, incredible person to be able to learn from with that. Some of these deer though, that he does post here. I like, like, it's so funny. Cause it's, it never, and like it, it never fails. That it's the first thing I see when I turn on Instagram in the morning is, is one of those pictures. It's like, all right, what buck am I going to see today? Just in huge velvet. And there it is, you know, it never fails. I love it. Yeah. All right, Bo, I want to, let's get some uh, questions from, from some listeners that they typed in. Cause I, I want to make sure they, they get some asked at least. Um, one question was just because we deal with a lot of the mountain laurel is, you know, what's your experience and strategy with hunting that in the big woods here in PA? So I mountain laurel is not like, it's not in all the areas that I hunt. Um, but it is in some of them and I treat it like any other thick cover. Mm -hmm. And I typically spend time on the outer edge of it. Um, you know, we were just, we were scouting, um, get, what was it? Oh, the, the mountain buck scouting camp that I had and we were going up and we found a spot and, and I was with Ryan Glitzky and we were both got like super excited cause we were following this point up as it wrapped around the side of the hill. All of a sudden we saw this mountain laurel and up to that point it was kind of open hardwoods up into that and right on the edge of it, just as it started to kind of go in on this trail, there was a big scrape right there. Mm. And th- that is an area that I would focus on. Uh, pretty heavily it, and it depends on how the mountain laurel is and if there's like sometimes there's even old logging roads that stuff that go you know in it and around it and stuff and like when in that case i might dive a little bit more into it um to get into the thick of it i've hunted before where i just get you know just above the mountain laurel basically and the deer feel like they're just in the best cover possible but you can see quite a bit and be able to see them in there so i will get on the interior but typically um, i'm focusing kind of right where that transition hits that that open woods um from that front and i I do see a lot of the the deer bedding kind of on that outside uh when I do see them bedding on the insides, typically like if there's, if it's on the side of a hill and there's a little bit of like a rise and they can see almost over the top of the next layer of it down and then be able to see that open hardwoods, I'll see them bedding kind of on the interior of that. So that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at Mount Laurel. Awesome. Well, you kind of brought it up. And one of the questions somebody asked was when's your next scouting or slash hunting seminar that you plan on doing? Hmm. <laughs> um it's gonna be next year i uh so yeah probably i'd love to do march it's just the weather is so unpredictable in march yeah. to, to really be able to plan that but i'm either gonna do one or two uh next year um based off of the, the feedback that i got from it so yeah i'm definitely definitely gonna do more but it's it's probably going to be early next year nice and then uh, another one was what week seems to pick up your most daytime activity on trail cameras, I'm assuming they're talking about. Hmm. All right. So I'm going to give you a couple different weeks okay. and, and then how and why, I guess. So like 
the middle of October, like the 13th through the 18th, I tend to get certain scrapes really light up on the first cold front morning. It's not really like the whole week, but it's like that first cold front that comes through. I And, and up until this point, I've had a full-time job. I never took time off of work during that. So <laughs> yeah. I never really hunted it, you know, it yep. rarely falls on a Saturday, you know? So it's like, but I've just learned from cameras. Like, I think you can kill a really good deer that week when you have that first cold front hit and be able or a weather event like if you have a bunch of rain right after that or or that first snow that kind of comes around that time it seems like uh and then from there i would say probably the first like few days in november um and end of october my cameras light up the most that's uh that that time is probably by far the most when if we have good weather that mixes with it when i get the most daylight and then the third time that I'll say is around like November 14th through the 18th in that frame. I don't see as many deer, but the biggest of the big move in daylight during those dates that I found, um, it, it'll be, it's a very slow time to sit in the woods. It's a very kind of lonely all day sit type of deal, mm-hmm. but you'll just, I, I feel like those just giants move during that time. But when I say that, that's what my cameras are telling me. My favorite week to hunt is the second week in November. So anywhere from like the, really the sixth is kind of like when I really like to, to start putting a lot of time and, and from, excuse me, the sixth through like the 14th, that time frame is I've killed more deer on November 8th and November 11th than any other, any other days uh, throughout my hunting career. So that's kind of how I'll break that down. Take it a couple steps further. Now, what do you think it is about that first cold front in October? I mean, we are starting to hear that over and over and over again, probably in the last couple of years of, I mean, and seeing it, right. Yeah. A lot of people are putting down nice deer at that time frame. You know, do you think, is there some early does that are maybe kicking off at that time that are getting them up on their feet? Or do you think, you know, is it just the cold front in general? Right. Because I'll even kind of build on that bow of what Dimitri just said. I, when I would randomly certain times during my teaching career are in service days that we would get would be that middle October and it would land on like a Thursday, Friday, you know, or just a Friday or a Monday or something like that. And I would usually take that day off, uh, instead of going in on that Friday and go back home. And it would be a nice, beautiful, not like, and like, this was before I would put two and two together of, Oh, it's a cold front, whatever. But it was those teens in October. And I actually, a couple of years ago had a buck, uh, he was a young buck, but like grunting coming up the Ridge where I had my stand and I'm all I just kept hearing was meh, 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 meh. And I'm like, holy shit. And the doe, I see the doe flying, like running away from him. And I just gave out a, a grunt call because I was like, ah, what the hell? Let's let's see what happens, see what he does. And he came right into it. Like, I mean, he was a young, you know, I don't know. I, I'm horrible at aging deer, but he was young. Uh, but I, like you said, and, and Ryan Glitzky has been saying it for the last couple podcasts and just even talking to Ryan on the phone. Like, he's like, man. He's a rut hunter and Bo, I know that's what like I, that's what I kind of I'm very confident or at least I'm confident knowing that I'm gonna see deer and be in the right spot yeah. during during the rut. Now if I actually shoot the frigger, you know, <laughs> is the other story. It's just uh what I know I'm confident at. But there's been times the last couple of years where I missed one 
middle of October, like where it would have actually been my biggest buck to date. Uh, and it's just like, it, it blows my mind and, uh, it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. So the way that, how I look at that is I, I do see some younger bucks trying to push does around them, but I don't believe the does are ready. I think they're just, they can't handle that testosterone buildup mm-hmm. and they're just like freaking out and just start going nuts. But what I think the, the older bucks, the more mature bucks are starting to do is one, I mean, that weather front's kind of getting them, you know, moving a little bit more, but I also think that their testosterone starting to build and they're starting to check you know, they're, they're trying to check those scrapes to see if any does are around. They're starting to kind of play around some doe bed, just kind of like almost like just touching their way into it. You know, they're mm-hmm. just like, they're almost like, you know, a group of guys going out to the bar, but they go out <laughs> at like, you know, eight thirty nine just to kind of just get an idea. And they might just stop in an area, have a drink, kind of like look around and then they head out and they go, they go somewhere else, but like to, to see what's going to be there later in the evening. But like that, that to me is like what that, what they're doing. And is that, that that cold weather? I don't know exactly how, why the weather, you know, makes them that way, but just that cold weather just like kind of snaps them a little bit to, to do a little bit more of that in daylight, which I believe I've always had good luck with my cameras, you know, at nighttime during that time frame, even when it's not cold out, but like the, for them to switch to that daylight mode, I think is, that's my, um, you know, my opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's just, it never fails. It's just, and I mean, the big nine that I was after, my dad was after last year, it was October 23rd. If that was a Monday, it was either the 23rd or 25th, uh, whatever that was on this past Monday in October. I mean, that's when he daylighted it right at nine o'clock. And, you know, I, I heard you one time, Bo, talk about this, and this is a kind of one more big, I guess, quote unquote, bigger question. It is the the type of, environment that the three of us mainly hunt i say three of us dimitri myself and and you Bo. it is damn near impossible to pattern these deer especially like these mature bucks and and just the bucks that have been being hunted heavily on the public land that dimitri and i hunt a lot here in central pa how do you go about like for for instance like us being we have that day job whatever and, and me being a teacher and everything at that one like that day when he clicked on, it was Monday. I think I took, cause Tuesday was like a crazy windy, cold, rainy, rainy day. I think I did take off that Wednesday. Cause I was like, screw it. I'm going in. I might have a chance. I might have an opportunity. I don't know. And I sat in that area all day that after, cause I was like, Hey, it's going to stop raining. I'm going to on Tuesday, maybe we'll get them up on their feet. I had a couple deer come by, but not, he didn't come by at all. Um, you know how, like what's your, What's your game plan for you get that one buck on camera? Are you going in or is it just, damn, I missed them or what? I usually need, I usually need a lot more Intel than like a couple photos or anything to really feel confident in like hunting a a single deer in a spot. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times it's educated guesses, but when I am like, when I am focusing on, usually it's because I have buildup of, you know, historical data. So like one way that I've found is, is like my trail cameras for the most part, I'm, I'm not getting data on a specific buck that year and being like, Oh, I can move in on them because that's, it's in the path. It's already happened. But what I can see is that bucks will visit certain scrapes around the same date, uh, every year. So that might be like, okay, 
this buck hit this scrape in 2020 and 2021 uh once on october 27th one of the other years is october 29th and the 30th you know okay so around those days i'm going to spend time in that spot and that's how i'll like focus on on that um you know, for that. And then like with my deer last year, um, so I was specifically hunting that deer that day. It wasn't the only deer I was hunting in general, but like for that day, I felt the most confidence I had in, in that. And I mean, I told the guys at camp the night before, and I always joke, like anybody knows me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like acting like I, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I, I always like go in with like all this like <laughs> confidence and say a joke. Thing, like, I'm like, Oh, I said that, that big nine's in trouble. He's going to come through tomorrow morning at first light. You know, he's going to hit this trail and you know, I was joking, but I had, uh, I had a good inclination based off of previous years data. And this wasn't even from early season. So I killed him opening day, but I had from late season, this deer used this trail with a specific wind and he was coming from a cut. They just got done. They were logging actually currently when wow. that, that winter. And so he was coming from that and he, he liked a Southwest wind, which had the wind quartering slightly towards him as he was coming, you know, out of that cut, he came down the Valley and would come across this creek bottom. And I wasn't sure exactly where he bedded. I had a couple different, uh, places where I thought, and I actually think I was a little bit wrong after, after I hit him and where he went and, and kind of died in his bed. Uh, but what I learned from what I, I made an assumption based off of him liking that wind pattern and knowing that early season, late season food sources with that cut would be very similar. And there was no acorns that year. So that wasn't going to throw him off any different. It was going to be a browse, uh, you know, feeding event. And I was like, that cuts the best place of food for him. And I had a camera at that spot, but I never checked it before, you know, within, you know, two or three weeks before the season, I went into a blind, but that Southwest wind, I knew that, that he liked it. And there was also like, it was cold. I mean, it was like, I don't know, upper thirties, something like that, that morning. So I was like, okay, you know, this is unseasonably cold. So this is a very good chance. And he actually came through like after an hour or an hour and 30 minutes after it was already daylight when he was coming back to go to bed, uh, when I, when I ended up shooting him, but that's what was interesting too, because that took some like pre scouting of like, I couldn't figure out how to hunt it because with that wind, that deer was kind of invincible. But what I found is it was so close to the, the Crick bank that if I, if I stood on the Crick bank and dropped my milkweed, it would just zip down the water where you walked out 10 feet in front of it and threw your milkweed and it went the opposite direction toward where the deer was coming from. So I picked a tree right on that bank and it just kept my thermals just zipping down that stream and kind of had me in a really, really good spot. So, and he did exactly that as he came in that morning. Um, so that was, that was a situation where, uh, you know, definitely wasn't patterning the deer. It was more so, I mean, in a sense, but like it was kind of going off of historical data and yep. then putting my best judgment and trying to anticipate what he could pot potentially do, you know, going forward. So that's how, that's how I look at, uh, that, that I told that story based off of like, this is, this is how I look at, uh, certain scenarios more. So it's not like, okay, this deer just, you know, hit this scrape twice in daylight in the last four days, he's probably going to hit it again. My, my odds there are a lot lower. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. 
I'll tell you what though, after knowing that you did that on day one, it definitely changes my whole mentality of like this summer. Cause like we're always ready for opening day. Don't get me wrong. But if that buck or a buck I'm after comes out day one, I'm going to go, holy shit. You gotta be kidding me. Cause then it's like, it's game on, man. Like you gotta go. Like that's why I felt like when we went out and did our Utah hunt, I felt more ready for PA than I ever had. You know what I mean? Just because we're we already cracked the seal, but it's like yeah, that first morning you get out there, like what are the friggin' odds usually for us? <laughs> you know what I mean? That like we never really had an opportunity. Like you, like you said, you have prior history. You kind of know early season, late yeah. season what what that guy was doing, and you could have had a chance. You never know. But like yep. I, in my all of my years of hunting in Pennsylvania, I never once went into a season thinking like day one it, it could happen you know what i mean so like and, now, and i'll be honest that was the first time that i did you yeah know, that i yeah. felt that that good about it and two it's like I, I don't remember what the prediction was it was either spartan forge either said transitional or full range and i can't i want to say it was transitional and and again so that was just something i had i ought to look back i, I filmed it so like i mm-hmm. i have it but i just haven't looked at that footage since that day but i was like I, there was just like a bunch of things that lined up that felt really good about it. And another thing is like, normally I, I'll go on my Western hunts. Like I'll go elk hunting the last couple weeks of September. So I get back and it's like opening days here. And I feel like I am not prepared, you yeah. know, where this time I was back for two weeks and I, and I spent a lot of time after work, um, which I didn't have much time. I couldn't get like fully into this area, but on the weekends, you know, prior of getting in there and spending time and, and, and trying to, you know, move cameras around, just knowing that the deer in the area. And that's, uh, I actually don't think I got to that specific camera. It was like, I guess it was two weeks before I, I was in there with my dad and, and, uh, and, and that's when, when kind of figured that out. And that deer wasn't even on that camera at that point. Uh, it was just, again, going off that, that, years past data and just trying to have that confidence going into it. But that, that opening week I think is, is very killable in the, in the big woods. And I think there's a lot of scenarios like that's the only one I've ever killed opening day. I've killed three in the first week before, but, but never, um, an opening day buck. And typically the other ones are all centralized around like a good food source. And a lot of times it's apple trees. Um, if I can find good apple trees that don't have, 13 trail cameras and six tree stands around it. Like those are, yeah. those are areas that, um, that, that have a lot of weight, you know, and, and the apples don't fall off, you know, before, before or, the season even comes in. Cause that happens a lot too. Yeah. yeah. I've, I mean, I've cracked a seal on dough, but not, not a buck on opening day, but that's awesome, man. I, uh, what else? Do you have anything? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think, Basically everything we covered is great, but the one thing that I think would say the mo- biggest mistake most people make is not letting their cameras soak yeah. all season long, right? And that, and you know, we, we kind of do that too. yeah, I know. I I've made that mistake more than probably anybody is once that season rolls around, you're pulling all your cameras, and then you kind of game plan for the whole season when you're not using getting that intel for the following season because you didn't have your camera out there right and just like Bo said he got data and intel from the beginning of the season right you hear everyone talking about that scrape during the rut you know this buck daylighted during the rut but you can also use that data from the years prior 
at the beginning of the season and when that bus going to show up. So, I mean, you can gain a, a wealth of knowledge by just leaving that camera sit all season long. And I think a lot of people don't do that and everybody probably should do it more often. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's, that's no, that's such a, such a good point. Like it's, and one thing that I find too is like myself included, but I even get it from people in messages is like, you know, I had a camera there for three weeks. I didn't have anything. So I pulled it. And it's like, man, some of my spots, like, I don't know when they're going to be good unless I leave them all year. Like if it's, if it looks like a good spot, it's probably going to be, but you need to learn when that's going to be a good spot. And if you pull that camera prematurely, I mean, all of us can be, I mean, no matter how, you know, you think, you know, something, but as soon as you go in and you get in like a, basically an empty SD card or just like nothing good on there you're very apt to want to pull that and move it to another spot. And, you know, the grass is greener over there. So I'm going to try that out. And that's where you, when you let them soak and you kind of forget about them a little bit, you learn a lot of, a lot of really good information, uh, you know, based off of that. And there was, there was a spot uh, in 2020 that I had a, a freaking giant two times opening week daylight going down and it was right at this creek crossing and he was going on the other side of the creek with these apple trees. And I had it right where this kind of like ditch ran into and he was crossing, but a guy beat me there with cameras this past year. So I didn't get, you know, that was year one in that spot. So I just had the camera soaking. I didn't know until January that that, you know, that deer even did that. And then this year someone else had camera already on that spot. <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see if that was a, any annual pattern for them or not. Right. And then I had other Intel, so I didn't hunt that particular location, but it's, uh, yeah, you, you can learn a lot by just letting them, letting them sit so, there. All right, man. Well, rapid fire ty- time, if you're cool with that. Uh, this one's kind of not a rapid fire before we get into it, but <laughs> you know, right now we're end of June, beginning, beginning of July. What do you have left to do before hunting season or what are you trying to improve on? So a couple things. I'm, I'm, I'm still putting out cameras. I'm still putting out a bunch of cameras. I'm really trying to find what's going to be my focal area for the year. And what I'm doing with that is like, I'm trying to figure out where the best bucks are and the, the best number of bucks. Basically I kind of have it figured out. Um, cause I think a deer made it through from last year that I'll probably focus on that. But typically this time of year, I'm trying to figure out where my primary area is and I'm running these cameras based off of my postseason scouting and being able to kind of hone in on that. And then also just outside of like even being in the woods, it's just the shooting, you know, I, I know that like, I think for anybody we can improve on our shooting, uh, definitely with me and also shooting out of my saddle. So that's one thing, like I have a tree in my yard now that I've prepped and that I, that I hunt out of. And last year I, you know, I was so the year before I was so confident that I I practiced so much out of my saddle and stuff. I, I got lax with it. And I was so focused on my mule deer hunt that I didn't practice out of my saddle. And I missed that deer. I said, I killed, Yep. I missed him at 14 yards because I didn't do something stupid by bending at the waist out of the, the, the tree stand and just was embarrassed myself and ended up luckily getting a follow-up shot uh, a little bit further out and was able to, to capitalize. But that was like, like, come on, man, like that should be second nature to you. So that was, that's something simple that I need to, to do and have that set up already in my, in my yard to, to make sure that I'm practicing with that, getting my gear dialed. So like I used to go into the opening day being like, 
it was just a complete shit show. Like my, I didn't know what my gear was doing. I like everything. It just felt like it was the first time I ever hunted. And the last few years, I've really put a lot of time into, you know, prepping my gear, practicing with it, practicing my climbing methods, all those different things and being ready so that you feel dialed from day one and it doesn't take you, you know, that much longer to be able to get into it. So those are some of the major things that, that I'm focused on shooting my bow, getting cameras out. Those are, and, and my gear prepped. Yeah. I'll, I'll even touch upon real quick about the saddle hunting. I mean, some people that if you, if you just getting into it and you still need to buy sticks, like obviously you got to go right from the ground, but if you are able to just get one stick high and put that platform up, I mean, you're only up what three and a half feet. Like you're still, you still need to bend at the waist if you have a smaller target or, or, you know what I mean? So those are great opportunities to get in the tree you, it's easy to get down, just clip in and the heck you could probably even just j- jump off from the platform at that height. So it's just like, get it, get it down. And like, when I do these teach and train tour events with tethered, like that's the number one thing I always say, if you practice and like Dimitri, I mean, you're first Hannah, you're, you're one year in, you practice a bunch of times in your backyard, you have all the land in the world to do it. You were dynamite. You're, you're like I said, I said, just practice. If you practice and you know how it feels, how to maneuver, you'll be solid. And it doesn't take long. You know what I mean? It, it, if you're somewhat athletic or you're solid on your feet, it does not take long whatsoever. So, uh, yeah. the, like Bo said, and, and like Dimitri did, and I've done over the last couple of years, just take the time to actually practice being in your saddle. And, um, you know, I, I talked about it. Uh, on a recent podcast that Dimitri and I did have done. And I'm kind of going back to it before the 2019 season up until that point, uh, you know, I missed a a ton of deer uh, the last, those last two, three years prior to that, just because I I had really bad buck fever and uh, just really couldn't control it. And just immediately just dropped my arm, didn't bend at the waist. And I made it a very, very conscious effort. And, you know, that year that opportunity came and I was able to calm down and went through my shot process and put on a perfect heart shot and ran 40 yards there. You know what I mean? So it's just like yeah. you put in the time, you put in the effort, good things could happen. Uh, you just got to, you know, do, do those things. So awesome. Well, rapid fire, you got the first question. I know which one you're going to ask, so let them eat. What, if you could pick one day out of the year to hunt, what would it be? November the 8th. I love that day too. That's my favorite. All right. Someone, someone recently that you're drawing inspiration from, or you're learning from currently. That's a tough one. Wow. (laughs) uh, So, I mean, I have like probably seven people that, that come to mind, but honestly I'll say, and he's a good friend of mine. I've spent a lot of time around him, but Johnny Stewart is still like, he's, he's my guy. Like every time I spend time in the woods with him or just talking to him, I learn so much more. And I'm like, just seeing the, the deer woods from his, his perspective yep. is awesome because he went so many years without having influence from social media and buzzwords being thrown around and all that stuff. Like he just, he knows deer and he knows like he, he's got woodsmanship that's second to none. So like, he's, he's my guy. He's who I draw inspiration from to, to to be able to become better that's awesome um and then we have a favorite piece of gear or snack that you take into the woods or snack you can't throw them in there so i'm gonna choose snack (laughs) there there you go Uh, um (sighs) 
Man, that's a, that's really coffee. Coffee, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm gonna say coffee in the tree stand. Put it in the thermos. Like that's that's what keeps me going um, throughout. It gives you that little like boost, especially on them all day sits. That's what's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. So awesome. I know it's a it's it's yeah. It's probably not the most exciting answer, but that's that's what gets me excited. So one A is uh, coffee. One B is dude wipes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually have what I call a shit kit. Yeah. I, have whole, I have a whole entire bag that's uh, that I grab and go, and I, I have that with hand sanitizer, toilet paper, and dude wipes, like the whole bits in there, and it's, it's a, uh, it's a really sweet kit. Everyone should build one. Yeah, hell yeah! First hunt this year, <sighs> Montana elk. Sweet man, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, last one, this is from a, in the chat, uh, on bullhorn here, Bo, uh, what was it like to spot and stalk hunting whitetails in the hills of West Virginia? And is the terrain comparable to PA? Looks you like want we got this to be a rapid fire answer, man. I no. get pumped up on this one. Yeah. Like, I just, I, that, that was, that was my favorite whitetail hunt that I've ever done. And I'm doing it again this year. Sweet. Uh, the guys are from yeah. untamed. Yeah. So I, I actually, Josh and I were just texting back and forth when you get on the phone and lock some things in. But like I had so much fun cause it mixes Western hunting with whitetail hunting. Uh, so that it was just an incredible experience. But what I'll say as far as the terrain is it's, it's same, but different as PA it's much steeper and they don't have, I shouldn't say much steeper. There's areas of PA that are very steep, but like it's, there's no benches. It's just like, okay taught straight down and like the only types of benches are like cuts like roads like old logging roads or mine roads that kind of go into the side of the hill there's not there's not a whole lot of of that it's just like straight up straight down like uh, a you know ridiculous angle and then you have where they cut the tops of the mines off that you know create some flat spots and everything up on the tops of the hill where they blow the mountain up but man that that hunt is is incredible. So I, I still hear Josh going, that's a big, and that's a big, and bow. That's a big, and <laughs> he's oh bringing right. He's yeah. a right. Uh, he, uh, he is, he is probably my favorite person to, oh. to hunt with and spend time with. He's, he's, it's just a really good dude. Selfless. Like just like he, and just, uh, you can learn so much from him. Have you heard the story with he and he and Greg going hog hunting? Yeah, I was there. <laughs> Were I was you there? there for the the teaching train like the day after when Josh couldn't walk oh because my. of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's too much, man. Well, all yeah. right, Bo. I don't want to take up too much of your time, man. Where could people follow along, listen, and you know, all all that stuff, dude. Well, eastmeetswesthunt.com has just about everything. Sign up for the email list there. Just about everything I do kind of goes out on that front. Um, East meets West hunt podcast, anywhere podcasts are found. My YouTube channel is just under my personal name, Bo Martonic. Couldn't figure out how to switch that. So that's what <laughs> it was since before I really even had the podcast. And then, uh, um, Instagram, Facebook, go out all those places, East meets West hunt or my, just my personal name, Bo Martonic. So awesome. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jeremy and Dimitri. Hey, really appreciate it. Hey man. Uh, I know one last thing cause I, any new stock coming in for your, your apparel or anything like that? I know Tack kind of emptied your shelves. So any update on that? Not right now, but I do have a ridiculous amount of stuff on order. Um, some really, some new designs. I have a new deer camp design cool. style that, uh, 
that Jordan over captured creative drew up for me. It's really sweet. Nice. Um, at least I think so. And so I got some hoodies and, and shirts and hats that are coming out and that some really different style hats that are kind of have the old like seventies, eighties deer camp vibe to them. So yeah, I've got, I've got some stuff coming out and, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Awesome, man. Well, everybody, uh, thanks all the people that joined in live tonight on Bullhorn, uh, this one will air next week. Uh, Lyle Harvey, hey man, thanks for coming on. Lyle even said about he attended that that uh, your your scouting event, so he said that was a great time. I wanted to just tell you that before we get off. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Till next time, Antler up. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.